Hey everyone, welcome to Geeks Can't, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. I'm your host, Zach. Today we have a very special episode. This is one of the panels that we presented uh, at GaryCon 2023. This was myself speaking with uh, Shadow Zach on a panel called Building a Successful Kickstarter. It's a Kickstarter panel for people who are looking to do their own campaign, potentially, or just curious about the process. We had some great questions um, and great discussion overall. Um, I tried to cut out several sections where we had audience members talking just because it was harder to hear them. So you might hear some little skips here and there when we do that. Um, and then at other times when I thought like maybe you could hear some of them, I left it in. Uh, but just kind of bear with it. This was a live recording and hope you enjoy. All right, well, let's get started, I guess. Um, welcome to the Building a Kickstarter panel. Uh, this is going to be, it, we've put it down for an hour and a half, but basically we've got 30, 40 minutes of chatting and kind of giving you some tools, and then we'll open it up to Q&A, and we typically find uh, with this panel that there's a lot of questions, and we kind of get into some weeds. So um, there'll be plenty of time to answer that, and then we'll be good to go. Um I guess we'll start off with some introductions, and then what I'd like to do before we actually dive in is, so we just have a, a handful of people today, uh, if we can just go down the row, and I'll just ask you to tell me your first name, and also why you're attending the panel, and that'll kind of help me know, and Zach know, how we need to best tailor fit this to you guys. Um, so let's start with introductions. My name is Zach Goins. Um, I'm the creative director for a company called World of Game Design. Um, not only do we do uh, a lot of our own publishing, but part of my role in that is Kickstarter consult, Kickstarter consultation for a lot of companies. Um, to date, we've ran about 45 Kickstarters over the last few years. Um, somebody asked at the front row how many of those have been successful, and uh, I think we've had two, two flops in all of that early on, so um, it's been a good run so far. So my role aside from creative director of the company, is helping work with clients to fulfill their Kickstarter needs, helping them build a successful Kickstarter, know what that looks like. And um, after the Kickstarter's over, what do you do with the book and how do you sell it and how do you make it last? And um, so it's a pretty, pretty full day. This is my full-time job and um, I really like doing it. Turn it over to you, Zach. Who are you? My name is Zach Goings, with an extra G at the end. Um, I'm a writer and designer with World of Game Design, uh, also starting to help out on the client side with designing and managing Kickstarters for clients, um, and learning that side of things as I've started to build and manage my own through the company. Uh, I'm a super backer on Kickstarter. I've backed, at this point, I think 280 projects, all at a physical level. Or, or not a physical level, but at some sort of reward level where I got something for it. Um, and then beyond that, just uh, writer, design. Yeah, I said that, writer and designer. So that's me. Awesome. So yeah, let's just go down the rest list. So Zach and Zach, you can call me Zach. You can call him Shadow Zach or Nega Zach or other Zach or whatever you want to um, if you have questions. Um, let's start over here. You've already introduced yourself to me a little bit, but go ahead and tell me who you are and what you're about. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So there is a um, 
There's a little sheet that looks like this that we laid out scattered around the tables. Does everybody have access to at least one of those? If not, raise your hand. I'll, I'll bring you one. Awesome. Looks like everybody's out. Cool. So this is kind of a, uh, a track road that we're going to follow for at least the initial part of this. This seminar largely focuses on everything that you need to do or that's an ideal thing to do leading up to launch day. Um, our objective as a company when we set out to do a Kickstarter is we want to know before we hit the launch button that this project is going to be successful. Um, at what level? That's always a question mark, right? But we want to do all the work, the homework ahead of time to know that when we actually put this in front of people, that we've generated interest, that we've presented well and everything, and that there's a likelihood of at least some level of success. So the big part of this Kickstarter panel is getting you to that point as well, to where when you hit the launch button, there's less fear about, am I going to get what I need? And it's more of a, how much am I going to get and what can I do with that, right? So we'll be walking down through uh, through this list here, and um, we'll just dive right in. So starting out, <clears throat> this is kind of a no-brainer bullet, and uh, but it's something we got to cover, right, which is building a budget. Um, Zach and I are not accountants, and <laughs> luckily we have people in our company that help us with that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, we all started somewhere, and when I started my first project, I didn't have an accountant. Zach didn't have an accountant, right? And you're figuring it out on your own. Even if it's just napkin math, you know, uh, a budget is super, super important. Um, and I wrote down there, or I put down there, minimum versus ideal. And the idea or the philosophy behind that is when you start a Kickstarter, you want to look at like, what is going to be my minimum cost to make this sucker, right? If you're making a zine, maybe that your minimum costs are... Maybe it's 800 bucks for the print copies that you want, and then it's another several hundred bucks for the art and editing and yada, yada, yada. Um, that's your minimum. If that's 2,000 bucks, right? I have to have 2,000 to be successful at any level. And then there's the ideal. And that ideal is still needs to be realistic, but the idea of ideal is, well, it costs 1,000 bucks to make 250 copies of my zine. But it only costs 1200 bucks to make 400 copies, right? And it gets to a point where the unit costs are go down based off the quantity and a few things like that. And so there's typically a point where you say, if I make X, I could afford to do this higher print run. I could afford to make this accessory or to expand the book a little bit. And that's actually where I want as my ideal threshold for success. Uh, maybe you can get your book down from $4 a piece to $2 a piece or $2.50 or whatever. Like, that's a big win. But you want to do a budget before you dive into everything, before you present your Kickstarter and say, what is the minimum I need? And then what am I actually shooting for that's going to really put this on the fast track for success and mean that I'm making the maximum number of dollars per project? And so... Um, that's our, that's our encouragement for every for every project that we do. When we do a client or whatnot, what we're doing, we start off with, like, what's the minimum? We build it for that. Maybe it's a 200-page book, black and white, soft cover, yada, yada, right? And then we start building out, and we're like, okay, a hard cover is this much. Uh, full, uh, full color is X. Stretch goals. Let's build out. Let's estimate. What if you hit all of your stretch goals? How much is that going to increase your price? And we factor all of that in, and we say, okay, well, if you're successful at the at the highest level, you need a budget that looks like this. And so it doesn't have to be like, I mean, some people really like to get noodly, but my suspicion is like 
we're all creatives, right? Or at least most of us are. And creatives are typically bad with math, or at least hate it. And so me telling you, hey, you need to sit down with a spreadsheet with formulas and walk through a detailed budget that's to the penny, almost none of us are going to do that. So my encouragement is do what you can, be as be as dedicated as you can, and know what your cost estimate range is going to be for minimum funding and then and then a ways up if you hit all your stretch goals and are excited about that. Anything else that you would add as far as the budget goes? No, you pretty much nailed that. There's some great resources down at the bottom uh, that we've put in there. And uh, there's one called the Game Crafter, um, Mixam, and Print Ninja. Those are a couple of resources that you can do to price out estimates on your books. And they have very quick, fast calculators. So without having to email someone and say, hey, I, you know, this is my idea, you can just punch in, I'm doing a 48-page zine, and I want to make 200 of those. What's going to be my cost? Um, Mixam is going to be great for your smaller projects like that. Print Ninja is great uh, for a quick calculation on your larger projects or your hardcover books, things of that nature. And Game Crafter is great to get prototypes and also just to kind of see if you're doing smaller print runs of stuff. Uh, they can be useful there. Um, I guess the only thing that I'll add is from from a creative standpoint, uh, when you're working on this budget, what it basically allows you to do is you can then look at it and you can say, okay, because we all want to make the best book or game or whatever it is that we can, right? So it allows you to look at it and say, here's how much I need to make the thing, and here's how much I need to make the thing that I want to make. And then you have this all this in the middle where you can kind of see, okay, here's what this can be if X. And that kind of, as a creator, it gives you a little bit of insight as to what you can do if you don't hit you know, your goals or if you do better than you think. And so that, that can be... Uh, that can be a, go- a good insight into y- your project itself just to kind of keep things on the right map and make sure that, yeah. Um, about the budget, so a lot of Kickstarter talks, they specifically talk about TTRPGs, and they'll do like PDF backer, PDF paperback, PDF hardback. As you're putting the budget together, and if you, you want to be launched, you definitely have a hardback option. Do you calculate your funded goal based off of, can I make enough revenue off that lowest level? Or is there kind of a blended approach you take when you're thinking about like 10% will probably fit to the high? How conservative or like optimistic are you when you put that together? Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. That's a great question. So the question was like, how do we we guess like how many backers we're going to have at the different reward levels and what's that going to look like towards helping us get our funding? So my rule of thumb is your average backer is going to back at a level slightly higher than your base pledge. As long as you have some specialty things or whatever sorts of tiers, you know, if you have a tier that has a shirt or has stickers or patches or whatever, right? Like, you're going to end up with, if you have a PDF tier that's 10 bucks, uh, a book tier that's 30 and a specialty tier that's 50, you're probably going to end up with an average backer that's 32, 35, something like that. So another way of looking at it is we typically see about 40% of backers going to a digital level. Um, so if you have a digital option, you can just kind of bake that in that way. And then about 60% will go physical. If you're seeing more than 40% going to digital, typically what that's indicating is that they don't see the value in the physical product. At that point, it's they'll look at and say, you know, well, it's 10 bucks for the physical or for the digital. It's 50 bucks for the 
physical, and I don't think that the physical looks that great. I'm just going to go digital, right? Um, anything above 40% for digital is typically an indicator for you that um, your physical product isn't attractive. Um, there's a few... There's a few exceptions to that rule, but very, very niche exceptions to that side of things. Um, an example of something that would be niche was like if you have an app-based game, mm -hmm. obviously it's going to be high digital even if you have physical rewards. So um, that would be a, a, a quick adjustment there. Sure. Um, that kind of leads into the next piece of this, which is doing your prep and lurking at other Kickstarters. But go ahead, Tim. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another useful formula that you can utilize is, and we'll talk about this some more later, but when you're starting to do your budget and you're trying to calculate what's success going to look like, a big part of calculating success is getting your followers pre-launch. And we'll talk some more about how to get those followers in a little bit. But basically, if you have a project that looks decent or, or nice, you can expect that 20% or above, 20 to 30% of your followers are going to convert to backers in the first 48 hours. So if you have 100 followers pre-launch on your landing page, when you launch, you can expect 20 to 30 backers on the first couple of days. And if you know that your average pledge is probably going to be just slightly higher than your standard pledge, you can say, okay, well, my average pledge is going to be 35 bucks, and I'm going to have 30 backers probably in the first two days. 35 times 30 is roughly $1,000, right? Um, that's a great metric to gauge your success level on because then you can extend that out a little bit by looking at the first 48 hours is your biggest funding window. Um, the thing I was told when I started uh, doing Kickstarters was that you'll basically get a third of your money at the beginning in those first 48 hours, you'll get a third of your money in the middle, and you'll get a third of your money at the last 48 hours. Now, that's not always going to work out 100% true, but if you, but it is a good rule of thumb, and if you base your math off of that, it's useful. And what that does, if you combine all of those together, right, 20 to 20, 20 to 30% of your backers are going to fund in the first 48 hours. They're going to back at a pledge level that's slightly higher than your standard, and that's going to be roughly a third of your funding. By day two slash day three, you can have a pretty good guess of where you're going to end up at the end. And that's incredibly, incredibly useful for deciding how much you need to push, where else you need to go, or if you're going to cancel the project entirely, right? If your goal is $50,000 and you get $5,000 in the first two days, it might seem really exciting because two days in out of a 30-day campaign... You know, you're less than 10% of the way there and you funded, you know, you got 10% of your funding. This should work out just great. The reality is it's not going to work out just great. Um, backers have weird tendencies. You have way more likelihood of a backer pledging for you if you're already funded. And the longer you go before you fund during your campaign, the less likely people are to back you. If you don't fund in the first 48 hours, you probably are 
cutting your potential funding by 20 to 30 percent right out the gate. Even if you fund on day four, you probably lost 20 to 30 percent of your funding amount. So it's a huge, huge, huge thing to fund at your minimum level in the first 48 hours to hit your goal for Kickstarter to say you have 100 percent funding. That's huge. And that all comes down to doing your homework ahead of launch. So you have that successful launch. And that's why this panel is what it is. Anything else on your your side that way? Nope. Okay. Just ask a quick question on that. Yeah. Um, a lot of Kickstarters will also have like be a late backer. Mm-hmm. Is, is, how 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 well does that work? What have you seen with that? Do yeah, you you'll definitely. That? So so late pledges, late backers, things like that, backer kit stuff of that nature. Um, it is it can be very lucrative and it can be very successful. The main thing to keep in mind there is that people aren't stumbling onto your page on Kickstarter anymore. You don't have that natural traffic by and large. So if people are going to go to your backer kit or to your late pledge, it's because you're getting out there, whether through ads or just outreach in various ways and getting your project in front of people. And then they're seeking it out and maybe they're searching for your project and they come across the Kickstarter. Well, that's, you've already got them at that point, right? Like that, the Kickstarter page is just there as a, as a redirect. Um, I will say that, um, like pre-orders, especially pre-orders through backer kit and running ads that way, especially if your project was successful at a good level during the Kickstarter, you can see quite a few sales on the backer kit side of things at that point. And by quite a few, I mean, um, I have talked to quite a few people and I've seen 50% of what you did on Kickstarter then being converted again on backer kit. So you can see quite a bit there. Um, rule of thumb that we see is even just like, minimum amount of funding and promotion, you can see another 10 to 15% creep if you're doing some work on backer kit. So there's definitely a tail by having the pre-order and the pledge manager and all that, that can get you some extra funding. Is there any magic formula to like how lucrative add-ons can be during the checkout process after? Yes. (laughs) I I don't know if it's magic, Um, (laughs) but uh, so how lucrative can add-ons be during the checkout process? On Kickstarter, the best way that you can do with your add-ons is to bake them into the reward tiers themselves, right? So if you're going to do dice as an add-on, put them in a reward tier that says you get the book and the dice and it's already prepackaged and you just pledge at that reward tier. You'll see a lot more backers backing at that than you will if you just just have them as an add-on. Now, when it comes to the backer kit and the pledge manager, as long as your add-ons are somewhat tailor selected or kind of targeted to your backers. Like, like let's say you're doing a DCC book. If your add-ons are DCC or MCC project products, you could see roughly another 10 to 20% boost in sales based on having great add-ons. If you have 5e or mothership products in that DCC backer kit instead, it probably is half that um, five to five to 12% or something like that is typical. Okay, so let's talk about doing the prep. Um, this is really for folks who, um, this is your first project or you've just done a few. These are the things, these are best practices that I highly recommend that are really going to get you um, uh, really knowledgeable, really fast, and get you uh, spending your money in the right way. The first thing, and Zach, you already talked about this a little bit, but lurk other Kickstarters. If you're doing a DCC zine, Get on Kickstarter and, you know, do a search for DCC 
or go back a handful of DCC projects and have an idea of what do DCC projects do for reward tiers? What are they charging for their zines on average? What does the page look like? Because the people who are going to look at your page are the same people that looked at every other DCC page that came before, right? And so if your page looks twice as good as all the other DCC zine pages, you know that you have a pretty good chance of converting most DCC backers to your project. If you look twice as bad as all the other ones, it's unlikely that you're going to get the backing because you're not communicating at a level that the DCC community is expecting and used to. So lurking is a great way to know what the level of expectation is. Also, what what are DCC projects funding at, right? Like, mm-hmm. Is it, is, it, is it reasonable to expect that your DCC zine is going to make $50,000 on Kickstarter? Probably not, right? Like, that's the reality. But is it reasonable to expect that a nice presented one that looks awesome is going to make 5000 It could definitely do that. So having that math is going to help then you determining if your budget's going to work and I've, you have the follower count and what you're, you can expect to do. So lurking and following other projects that are super similar um, is your best bet to building a project that's successful. Nope. Okay. Um, the other thing I would say there is there's nothing wrong with copy-paste in the sense of that's the, fir- the first few projects that I did were exactly like that, where I found a project that I really loved, that I felt like this is super similar to something that I've done or that I'm putting together, whether in size or in format or in presentation, and there's nothing wrong with saying, this is what I want to achieve. Let's find a way of communicating our project as closely to that as possible. So the reward tiers being super similar, the pricing being super similar, the graphics that they're putting on the page being super similar. If you do all the things in a super similar way and you promote it in a way that's up to their level, which, again, we'll talk about in a moment, the likelihood is you're going to have a success level of around that that threshold. So it's a really good process to find a Kickstarter. I know like uh, you've got a card-based Kickstarter. There's a ton of that on there, but card-based Kickstarters can be all over the place as far as uh, reward tier pricing and how much each of these is going to be and what they're presenting. Sometimes they present a ton. Sometimes they're showing every card. Sometimes they're showing like, you know, prototype cards. Some of the times they're showing concepting out, like having an idea, especially when you get into that physical side of like, What's the level that I need to show my project in the state that it's in? That's huge. A project, a card project or a printed book project that has, here's a sample layout uh, of several pages and here's a mock-up of the book and here's who we're going to use for a printer. Those projects are going to fund at a higher level than somebody who's like, I have an idea for this book. Here's a mock-up of the cover. I don't have any spreads. I can write about it for two paragraphs, but I can't show you anything. You're going to see that People that can show off stuff are going to make a lot more money than people who are coming to you with an idea. And it can be tricky. Uh, We did an Oracle deck recently, and it was for an RPG, and it was tied into a a, a, a Morkborg, so it had a game system attached to it. And so we're going in, lurking on other Kickstarters for Oracle decks and Tarot decks, trying to figure out how do we price this thing? How are we going to do this? And it can be a little bit tricky, especially if you're going outside of your normal channels, uh, you know, to try and figure this out, but the resources are there. And, you know, it, if you go and you look and you can find the right, uh, you know, what you're looking for, pay attention to, you know, what they're charging, you know, the little pieces of, you know, that they're 
<clears throat> including stretch goals, add-ons, those kinds of things. Um, and, and like Zach was saying, if you work hard to emulate something that's successful and that you like, hopefully you're going to see that come back on your own project if, if you're you know using the tips and tricks that you pulled from that. And that, that's what we've started to do, and I, I think it's working out pretty well. Yeah. Um, that kind of leads into B and C here. So B is art and mock-ups. And one of the questions that clients ask us right out the gate almost every single time is, how much art do I need? What does it need to look like? How much money should I be spending on art? Um, those are name-of-the-game questions for creators, especially writers that you know want to be successful, but they don't have you know ten grand in the bank to go buy a bunch of art. Um, so let's talk about that for just a moment. The main thing is having a killer banner image. And I can show you kind of, um, we'll give you an example here of a banner image if you're unfamiliar. So a banner image is this uh, 16 by nine ratio graphic that is at the start of your Kickstarter. This is uh, the moneymaker. If somebody, if this looks great and somebody clicks on it, they're already 50% of the way to buying your product. At this point, they've clicked on it. They want it. Now your project page just needs to give them no excuses not to back it. So it's super important that this looks as good as anything on the page. Um, if you're going to spend, if you have an art budget, if you have any sort of a budget, the best thing that you can do with your money is to make this graphic look great. Um, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. Obviously, you can do like a mock-up like um, Tommy did here with showing the book. This is not a physical book. This is him just do commissioning a cover, commissioning one interior spread, and dropping that into a mock-up generator to get what the book will look like. Um, this is a Morkborg project, so it looks weird and wild, and that's what Morkborg fans want. So it attracts people. If you're, um, if you're a bit more of a traditional project, um, this is a project called Den of Assassins that we helped on. Um, you know, he commissioned the cover, which was a really great picture of this uh, drow assassin gal. And um, so having that be the front and center image drew in a ton of backer support on it. This is huge. If you, like I said, don't, don't skimp on this. Um, that said, everybody has a different budget, right? So maybe you can only spend 50 bucks total on art before you do your Kickstarter. Maybe you can only spend 500 there's a couple of different ways that you can go about doing that. If you have a really small budget, then getting on a place like Drive Through RPG or a stock art site like Adobe or Shutterstock and doing the time, looking through, scrounging, looking, hunting for something that looks great that you haven't seen everywhere else. You know, the reality is that a backer isn't going to know if your awesome piece of stock art is stock art or something that you commissioned. The only way that they're going to know that is if they've seen it 50 times already. Mm -hmm. So if your budget is, is very limited, just go hunting and drive through RPG uh, uh, has a great, uh, great resource for that. And all the stock art places have halfway decent stuff for the most part. Um, go buy yourself a really nice cover if you can't commission one. And that's, I mean, if you can't commission one, I mean, that's everybody's first project. So um, it's not a big deal. There's, 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 there's a dozen successful Kickstarter project projects every week that fund with a stock art banner. So it's not it's not a sign that you're going to fail. Right. And, and out of all the projects that I've backed, you know, again, as Zach said, 
if that banner image can get a backer to click on your project, they're 50% of the way there to buying it. And that's true. You know, that's when I go on and I'm looking, that's the first thing I see. That's what pulls me in is that banner image. The rest of the art on your page, it, you know, we can talk about that, but I would say that in conjunction with the banner image, the next most important thing besides more art on your page is make sure it's well-written. Uh, the first uh, several dozen Kickstarters that I've backed, especially some of these indie Kickstarters, uh, zines and things like that, I was backing them based on the art. I would read a little bit and I'd say, oh, I'm sold. I'd back it, I'd get the zine, I'd read through it, and it would read like crap. I'd be like, whoever wrote this camp doesn't know how to write their way out of paperback. <laughs> and so I've, I've gotten to the point now where I actually read what's on the Kickstarter page, the whole thing from start to finish. And if I get through the first two paragraphs and I can't make sense of what this person is trying to say or I think it's poorly written on the Kickstarter, I'm not going to back their project because I know their project's not going to be well-written. So, you know, if you don't fancy yourself a writer, you know, find someone, find a friend, pay someone a couple bucks to, won't take long, but I would say it's very important to make sure that your Kickstarter, the text on your Kickstarter is well presented, it reads well, it's been edited and checked and double checked <laughs> so that you don't sound like an idiot or, you know, like you don't understand what, what you're saying. So. Yeah. Backers decide if they're going to back something in roughly about... 10 seconds or less when they hit the page. Mm -hmm. If you're, so if you're, if the front of your page, at the top of your page, if, uh, let's go to Stomp here. Um, if this graphic and the next one aren't awesome, and if this text isn't awesome, they are not going to read further down. It's not going to happen. So this is your priority right here. This first few graphics, this first scroll down, um, Communicate it clearly. Get it, get the information out there. Don't hold on to the juicy bits or the exciting thing or the cool graphic that shows not just the book but the cool dice that you made and the handouts and the cool maps and everything. That needs to be right up here. That needs, If it's not in your banner image, it needs to be front and center, somewhere cool and somewhere immediate because if they have to scroll down half the page to see what you're actually excited about selling, they're not going to do that. <laughs> Same thing with the reward tiers here on the right. Um, these reward tiers should be super clear and you should not assume that because you tucked information down here about what this reward tier is about, that the backers are actually going to read it. Once they've decided, and again, they get a few seconds of it, but once they've decided that they like what's being presented here, they're going to bounce over to the reward tiers to make sure that they, you know, that it's not outpricing them as a backer and that they understand what the heck is going on. So here, this is a great one because it's very, very clean and it says, you know, as an example on this reward here, it says get the PDF and the physical hardcover book. And then it lists it out again. You get the digital PDF and the hardcover book. Um, the only thing I would add to this one at this point is I would also say shipping is going to be a charged in backer kit or shipping is going to be $6 or shipping is whatever you need to say, right? Mm -hmm. Like communicate, 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 and communicate it clearly, succinctly, and multiple times if on the key information. Um, don't assume that your backer is going to read everything like Zach. Uh, he's he's a rarity, uh, a rare bird in that <laughs> oh, I got burned too many times. That's right. Um, so please, please, please make sure that you're communicating super clear. You're giving them um, uh, details like hardcover book, right? Yes. It's super important to a backer that you're saying hardcover book, not just book. It's super important that 
Um, you're saying that you, at this point, that you have a digital book and a hardcover book here because a few years ago, people started holding the digital product and saying, well, you can back at a digital level, a physical level, or a level that has both. Well, what that did is it introduced a lot of confusion into the scene. And now we have a lot of backers who, if you don't list it here, will start messaging you and filling up your comment section with, do I get a digital copy with my physical purchase? Go ahead and don't get rid of that confusion just by making it clear from day one. Go ahead, sir. So you're talking about first 10 seconds. They look at it, you can grab it, decide yes or no. I've I think that that comes down to your presentation style. We've done both. Um, I'll give a couple of examples. So a short and sweet one with the right attitude and the right product can be great, right? It, like as an example, we did a Mordford book, a novel, and we worked with a, a client on that. Does a novel need a long, you know, tale of a, of a whole bunch of graphic? No, it's it's a book. It's a Mordford book. Here's the back of the cover text. Here's the price. You're done. Like you don't need to have a lot there, right? If you're doing a let, let me give an example here that might be useful. If you're doing a fantasy zine that is a bunch of tables for loot and for various monsters, do you need a long, long Kickstarter page that really what you have is 48 pages of loot tables for each monster in the OSE monster manual? No, right? You need a couple of spreads. You need to communicate like, hey, this is what's going to be in it. But that doesn't need to go down very far. Where you want to go down is when you're trying to ask people for like, uh, as an example, like, a three hardcover book set, right? Where you got a campaign guide and a monster manual and a player's guide, and you're trying to get people to spend a hundred bucks. And you've got 16,000 reward options, right? You got the three hardcover books together. You got them in a slip case. You got them three separated out. You've got three soft cover books and then, oh, all the add-ons from previous projects, 16 dice sets. Like once you start doing all that, by necessity, your page gets long. Um, but what we found is, we kind of like to save a chunk of that link for the backer kit. Mm -hmm. If you can kind of, sometimes it's worth it to say, do we really need to say all this for all the add-ons or special things or bonuses or whatever, whatever? The answer is no. We can probably, most people are going to pick up their add-ons and backer kit anyways. So like, why are we communicating all this here? Let's just save it for backer kit. The other thing you can do is when your Kickstarter is live, as you progress through, you can condense down things as you move along on the graphics to where your page isn't getting longer and longer. If you have 40 stretch goals, you can start building out those stretch goals. And then halfway through, you can condense them all down and say, you know, we unlock this list of stretch goals. And then here's the most current three. Because backers really don't like typically a long page full of information that isn't engaging. Yeah. So anything that you can do to condense it down to make it easier to navigate, even during the project, is super, super handy, and your backers will thank you for it. Sure. And I would even go so far as to say, um, beyond just you know the presentation, look at what the audience that you're you know trying to cater to. That look at your backers that you want to back it. Uh, if you're making an indie product, uh, like a zine or something like that your backers probably aren't going to care so much about having graphics that are filled with text and, you know, the ne the need to have a plain text version at the bottom and all that kind of stuff, all that slick, fancy stuff. 
they're not going to care if you just put some headers and then plain text. If you're talking about a big 5e supplement or something like that, there, there might be a different expectation, right? Because there's a precedent that's been set by other companies in the industry. So if you're making a big 5e supplement that's got 12 new classes or 12 new subclasses, new races, and all kinds of new treasure and loot and stuff like that, you're probably going to be judged a little bit more on like if you're, you know, if you have text in your graphics and how slick they are and, you know, kind of putting it all together in that kind of package. So I would just add that, you know, look at your audience to it and the product that you're making and kind of compare those. And That's a good point. The, the, the key thing there is it goes back to lurking at other Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. 5e is a good example of this. 5e Kickstarters need to look amazing at this point because you're competing against Cobalt Press. You're competing against Ghostfire Games. You're competing against, you know, Goodman Games and all these other great companies that are putting out great books. At that point, like even if your book is 120 page soft cover, well, but your backers are used to going on a Cobalt Press Kickstarter page and seeing, you know, 40 gorgeous pieces of art, mm-hmm. a 24-page preview and all that. You may not be able to do all that, but you need to get as close as you can because you're you're working against backers who have an expectation right. based on previous experiences. Sure. And every 5e backer is looking at every Cobalt Press Kickstarter that comes out. So you know what they're looking at, what their eyeballs are on. Um, it's worthwhile to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. That leads us real quick to do the work, and I put 80% plus there. If this is your first project, 25% of all backers will not back a first-time creator. That's a stat based on a poll um, in one of the massive uh, 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 like crowdfunding groups. So you're at a detriment already by being a first-time creator. So the best way that you can negate that is by communicating that you have already done the work and this isn't an, an idea. Mm-hmm. This is this is a product that is close to being complete. So we put 80% there. If you're a writer, what that means is we recommend if this is your first project or your second project. And really for our company, we do it across the board. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we ever drop. We say have 80 plus percent of the writing done before you go to Kickstarter. That's a great thing to communicate to your backers. I've already written the thing, or it's almost already written. I need budget. I need money for art and to make and to print it. Right, like mm-hmm. that's helpful. That tells the backers that you're willing to put in the time. Always, always, always do eighty percent plus, and then communicate that on your page, especially down in the risks and challenges section. That's a great place to say, "Here's how much of this is done, and this is what I'm trying to get for the rest." It's also a great thing to communicate if you're a first time creator to put it up somewhere close to the top. Put a bullet point or something that says. This is largely done because backers will look. Um, I'll scroll up here and show you. Um, they will look right. Well, wherever it is, it's right here on, kick, on, on a live Kickstarter. It'll have your profile picture. It'll say, you know, it'll say Zach and it'll say zero created. Mm hmm. And if you watch, you know, reviewers and folks like that on YouTube, one of the things that they always comment on is, and I don't know if you do, so I'll, I'll back off of always comment on, but um, uh, uh, a lot of times they'll say, oh, this is a first time creator. That's worth noting. So just keep in mind that the bet, the, do your work, especially early on to, to get as much of it done as possible within your budget. Um, to kind of quell those needs. The other thing that you can do if you're a first-time creator is communicate why you're asking for the money that you're asking for down below. Again, towards the bottom of the page, you can say stuff like, hey, I need $5,000 and this is how I'm going to spend it. You know, I need 
$3,000 for my print run. I need $2,000 for artwork or whatever. Um, that's something that's going to reinforce backers' confidence level, especially for an early creator, and let them know that you know why you need that money and you know exactly how it's going to be spent. Communicate that you've done a budget. All those things help with backer confidence. All right, so that leads to building a skeleton. Um, this is the thing that you must, must do before you promote your Kickstarter. Um, there's a, several things we can kind of, we could, we could walk through, but I'll probably just save that. I can walk through actually like how to build a Kickstarter on this, uh, uh, later on if you guys want to do that. But the main things that I want to communicate are, um, you're going to need a bank account, uh, in order to create a Kickstarter. And as weird as that sounds, about a third of the creators that we, uh, work with don't have a bank account that would work to get hooked up to Kickstarter. Maybe they're international or maybe they have a personal bank account and they're collaborating with several people and they need to open a business account or they want to. So the first thing to keep in mind is you're going to need an account. And if you don't have one, you know, that can take some time. So go ahead and get that set up. You'll punch in all that information and yada, yada, yada. But keep in mind that you will need an account. Just open it on PayPal. And open it on PayPal. Great. Yeah. 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 Um, there's a lot of things you can do that way. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is, well, we'll cover that later. That's fine. Um, bank account, super important. That'll slow you down a lot if you don't have that done ahead of time. But yeah, PayPal or something, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge hurdle. The other thing is um, when you go into your Kickstarter and when you start building it out for the first time, um, there's a back-end template that Kickstarter walks you through that says, here's all the steps. Here, you need to build reward tiers. Here, you need to write the story of your thing. You need to fill in the risks and challenges. You need to fill out the payment information, all that sort of thing. Um, they're going to have you walk through all that, and they're going to show you like percentage dials for how close you are to completing each section. It's actually pretty intuitive for the most part about like how much you need to do. What's not intuitive is that at the end of building it, you're going to have a big green button that once you've completed all the dials and they're all at 100%, there's going to be a green button that says uh, send it off for review. And you're going to submit your project to Kickstarter at that point and they're going to review it and then they're either going to approve it or they're going to send you back some notes and feedback of what you should change or update or add. The note that I would give you there is you don't need to have your project looking amazing and exactly like you're going to have it on launch day. And why this says build the skeleton is you really just need to have the basic text, the basic reward tiers, the basic information every a few places. You need to have your banner image. And at that point, you can send that off for a review and it'll probably get approved, at which point you can start promoting your project and you can continue to build the back end and get that all ready for your launch day while you're you can you know, you can have that extra 30, 60, 90 days to finish building it out. But you can be promoting while you're doing it. So we always do it as a two-step process when we're doing a Kickstarter build. The first step is building the skeleton, send it off for review, get it approved. Now we can start promoting it while we finish out all the cool graphics and the special reward tiers and all of that. Um, when you send it off for review, um, if you're a small project with a low budget, you will almost certainly get approved immediately, automatically. Um, you won't, it won't actually go in front of a person. It'll just go through their automated system and within 30 seconds, you're going to get an approval. If you have a several thousand, you know, five, ten, fifty thousand dollar project, um, they're probably the internal system will flag it as, Hey, we need actual human eyeballs on this. And at that point, it'll take several days for them to get back to you. And typically, if you've done all the work and you kind of know what you're doing, 
you'll still get approval. It'll just take a few days. Otherwise, they're going to send you an email and say, hey, here's a few things that we recommend you doing. If you can do those things, shoot us an email back. We'll turn your project, uh, we'll, we'll approve your project to launch. Um, a nice workaround is, regardless of your funding level, just put 500 bucks as your funding level on all your projects, no matter what, or even less. That'll typically trigger it to be automatically approved, and then you can always go back and adjust the funding level to whatever you want. So if you don't want to have to muck with that five-day waiting period of talking to a person, you can always just say, ah, oh, this is going to, I need 300 bucks, send it off, gets approved. Then you change it to 30,000 bucks before you launch and you didn't have to deal with it. So um, it's super useful and, and it works every time. Um, uh, so that's a great way of, of not having to deal with that extra week of, of waiting. Um, and we say we said it before, we say it again here. Make sure that that banner image looks great before you start promoting. That's the big thing. At least one killer art piece um, is going to go a long, long ways to getting you success. Anything else before we move on to marketing, which is kind of the, the piece that folks really like? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, backing up just a little bit, I wanted, uh, as when we were talking about designing the page and kind of lurking, something that I missed over was... Um, for your reward tiers, when you're building out and designing your reward tiers and you're looking at other Kickstarters, sometimes there's a tendency to, and I had this, to want to make a lot of reward tiers because uh, sometimes you there's the, uh, the idea that successful big Kickstarters have lots of reward tiers to choose from. Don't do that. Don't, uh, don't just assume that. Have as many reward tiers as you need. And just keep it at that, no more, no less. Don't try and break it apart and get fancy, because it does get confusing really quickly. Uh, so that way, I would just warn against that. I've never heard a creator or a reviewer or a backer say, this has too few reward tiers. Mm -hmm. I have heard a ton of people say, this has too many reward tiers, I'm confused. And once you've got a backer that's confused, they're not going to buy. Yeah. Right? So... Um, you can do reward tiers that are special or that have limited things, signed editions or playing with the creators or limited things in different ways. That's completely fine. Just know that for every one that you're adding, you're adding a potential level of confusion. So if you have six, eight reward tiers, you need to be making sure that they're super concise, super clear. Have somebody that's not a part of your core team read over them before you launch and tell you if they made sense. Um, because Zach's right. Like, the moment you get a backer confused, you've almost certainly lost them. The only backer that the only confused backer that sticks around to back is if they've already bought something from you before and they're gonna back no matter what. They're like, I, I know I'm confused, but I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. If you if they've never backed from you before and they're confused, no way. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Okay, so let's talk marketing for just a moment. Um, if you're a first time creator, this is typically what people struggle with the most. Um, so we're going to give you some tools that hopefully aren't just spend money, uh, cause that's typically what you run into, right? Is, um, marketing means spending money. Um, this a bullet here, other creators and creator groups, this is huge. This is absolutely huge for success on your first project. Find where the creator community is for whatever you're designing. If you're doing a DCC mod, join DCC communities on Discord, on Facebook groups, on wherever they are. Yeah, same with anything. If you're a, if you're building a board game or a card game or whatnot, like there are Kickstarter or crowdfunding groups on Facebook or on Discord of like-minded creators. Get into those. 
get into those for two reasons. One, they're a great resource that's free. So it, you'll have questions or, or problems that, have, that come up while you're in the middle of building your campaign or when it's live. Having a few groups that are dedicated to making projects exactly like yours are going to be great resources for you to make sure. The other thing is creators spend money <laughs> more than anyone else. And so being a part of those groups and engaging with them, communicating, collaborating, showing them previews of your stuff, when you finally go live, that group is a great group to actually back your stuff to. Um, they want to support people that are like them. They know how hard it is. We know how hard it is to make a zine or to make a book. And so when we see you putting forth the effort and working and being you know, genuine on it, we're likely to support you. Um, and so we're finding other creators, connecting with them, and, and finding those creator groups and connecting with them are your best bang for your buck. In addition... Make some really personal connections with those folks. Um, great way to do that is to collaborate with them, find people who need a guest writer, need a, an editor, need a whatever, and work with them on their projects. They are almost certainly going to turn around and then promote your project when you go live later. So getting in the weeds and working on uh, some, some DCC projects, if you're planning on doing your own, is a great way of doing that because the best bang for your buck is when a Kickstarter creator promotes you uh, because they are promoting you to a Kickstarter backer audience. And those are the people that are almost certainly or most likely to back your project as well. The best thing that you can do is have a you know three best friends who also make DCC stuff that all are happy to say, you're my buddy when your project goes live or before it goes live, I'm going to put out an update or include you in one of my updates or put you in my newsletter or whatever and promote your stuff right alongside mine because I like you. That is huge. As an example of that, we had a cartographer that did a bunch of maps for us. Um, and then later he did his own 5e book um, and it's filled with maps and encounters and stuff. And I said, well, we will, you know, we'll promote it for you. And we put his book in one of our updates and we had a special unique URL for it. And in 24 hours, he got a hundred followers off of that link, right? You can't spend, you know, like that's a that's a massive amount of money that you would have to spend to get 100 followers, especially knowing that 100% of those 100 followers are Kickstarter backers. Mm -hmm. So that's way more meaningful than a follower who came from Facebook or from Instagram. So collaborate, communicate, make friendships, come to cons. These are great ways to build your community within that within the creator sphere. And then utilize that. Don't be afraid to utilize that. Put in the request. You know, give people little nudges or whatnot. They're typically happy to do it. They're typically just busy and sometimes forget or didn't know that you were making a project. But use those to help get the promotion out. That's 100%. It's free. And uh, and it works. It really, really works. Yeah, I, I 100%. I mean, when I, when I first started doing this about four years ago, I... I thought it was going to be all about advertising, Google ads, Facebook ads, and all that stuff. And me and my writing partner, we dumped, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars into Facebook ads for so little return on the things that we were trying to do at the time. And, you know, my wife was, you know, at the time she was pushing me, you've got a network, you have got a network. And I was like, I've become antisocial. Stop. <laughs> but I, you know, she kept harping on it and I went out and I networked and I met this guy and I met some other people. Not only have I made some really great friends, but I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I hadn't gone out and networked and now I get to do what I love for a living. 
and you know write stuff and create stuff and that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna get your stuff out there you know obviously advertising is gonna be a part of it but I think especially in this industry as of right now the like you said the best bang for your buck and the, the best way you're gonna get backers is by going out there meeting people talking to them and becoming friends with them and working with them and saying hey let's let's do something together a great first project for you or an early project for you is like do a resource guide or an anthology or something that requires several creators. Fund that. Go out and hire, you know, six, eight, ten writers in the system that you want to be at, you know, exist in or, or write in. And now you have eight to ten people that you've paid money to create. Those eight to ten people are going to be great touch points and they're going to point, they're, they're going to come find you when they need something or when they have an opportunity or when they are looking for something to promote. So, finding ways of having small opportunities for guest writers or guest artists or whatever is a great, great way early on to build that creator network. The first pro- one of the early projects that I did had 10 guest spots and I went out and just messaged creators that I liked and said, hey, would you be interested? I got 50 bucks. I need 2,000 words. I know it's not a lot. Would you be interested? Filled up all 10 of those slots and I it was, it was, it was a fast track towards getting success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was the first one. Podcast, YouTube reviewers, um, and interviews. Um, the best thing I can say here is make sure that um, if you're hunting down podcasts or YouTube folks or Twitch streamers or whatever to promote your thing, make sure that it's a one-to-one. Um, if you are going to someone who does a ton of 5e content on YouTube and you have your DCC thing, they may be willing to promote it, but their audience probably isn't going to buy it. So just be really conscientious that it's not always about the number of subscribers that they have or whatever. It's a, a lot of times about, is their audience the same as your ideal audience? And if the answer to that is yes, then it, it may not matter if they have 200 subscribers on YouTube. If those 200 people are your people, um, you know, paying for that review or sending them a copy might be worthwhile. Um, uh, if it's a one-to-one, the further you get from a one-to-one, the harder that becomes. So if you, if, if you're trying to advertise your more court thing to a 5e crowd, it's going to be a very tiny fraction of the people are going to do it. So just, just be conscientious when you're doing that. And the best way that you can do that is, um, what I do on a regular basis is I go on YouTube and I go on a podcast topper like iTunes or whatever, and I search for Mothership RPG or I search for Morkborg or whatever. And I see who pops up. And if they pop up there, they're probably someone worth me considering reaching out to and, and marketing through or, or running an ad for. If you're going to, if you have ad money or if you have review copies or things, that's the way that I do it is do a search, look for them, look, keep, pay attention to whether they are reviewers or they're, you know, general advice streamers or whether they're actual play. If it's an actual play, you're probably not going to get a lot of bang for your buck by having an ad on their thing. Uh, you can get a little bit better bang for your buck if they are willing to run your game and they have a good size audience, right? Um, but by and large, actual play is is something that, again, needs to be perfectly in line with what you're trying to make. And then ideally, they would run at least a one-shot of it. And that one-shot then is something that you can use in an ongoing way, not just for that review, but you can put it on your website or on your own socials to show off your game being played, which is, so it kind of does double duty. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pay nothing. Sometimes there's reviewers and, and, 
and interviewers that'll do that'll do it for free or for uh, or for a copy of the book or whatnot um, or for a PDF all the way up to you know several thousand dollars. That there's a wide range and it all comes down to the audience. What number of people in their audience, and is this their job, their day job? Is this how they make a living, or is this their side hobby? Um, we work with a million Kickstarter creators every day, so we do a podcast and a live stream that's about interviewing those creators, because it's something that we can do to give them another tool. We do all that for free, right? It, it's just something that we like to do, and it makes sense for our clientele and for everything. So um, I say that to say that there's not like a magic number of like, you should be spending this amount. It's more about finding who's going to be talking to your audience and seeing how much they are going to charge you to be in front of them. Um, last but not least is Facebook ads. Um, Facebook is the place that you should be advertising. Nowhere else is going to give you near the return of Facebook. Um, on the opposite end of things, do not spend any money on Twitter. Uh, you will never make a dime on Twitter. We have spent <laughs> a good amount of money at different places and trying different things. And I think the highest return as a ratio that we've ever seen on Twitter is less than a tenth of a percent of the uh, project's revenue or something. Like, you don't make any money on Twitter. And the reason behind that, um, there's a couple of good podcasts uh, that have talked about this, but the reason of that is that different social medias the people that go on to them are going into them with different mindsets. And the interesting thing is that, yes, Facebook as a whole might be dying or getting old or whatever, but the people who go on Facebook are going in for data reception. They're looking to find information and consume information. That's different than the Twitter backer. That's very different than the Instagram backer. Instagram isn't too bad but it's not nearly as good as Facebook. But Instagram people are going on there to look at something cool. They're not going on there to get information in their head and process it, looking for their their creative brain to get inspired, right? Um, so I say that to say, if you have money to spend on ads, spend it in Facebook and make sure that your ad is clear, has a cool, just like this, cool banner graphic and uses the keywords that are going to tie to your audience. So, you know, 5e, D&D, yada, yada, Dungeons and Dragons. That's what you want to say if you're in a, if they're in that space. Um, and just keeping in mind that backer, that people on Facebook are almost certainly not going to be drawn in by your text. So writing a three paragraph long description of what your project is, 99% of people aren't even going to read it. What's going to draw them is the image and the title that says, this is a 5e book. This is a mothership book or whatever. If you can, if you can communicate that live on Kickstarter right now, uh, the people who are familiar with Kickstarter and who think that your project looks awesome are going to click the ad. They don't need a long essay to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, go ahead, Tim. I say that actually brings up a great point where, like, to reinforce what you said earlier, your image that you have on the Kickstarter, your banner image, when you copy your link to Facebook, that's the picture that shows up. Yes. So if you have a strong image here, that's going to show up every time you come on Facebook and stuff like that, which just reinforces the need to have a great image. Absolutely right. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is when we talk about Facebook ads, we're talking about paid promotion ads because the algorithms of Facebook, um, uh, Facebook will, I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying this. Um, Facebook does not want you to post a link to your page on their site 
and they will actively hide it unless you're paying them money. So your crew, you know, you getting your 20 buddies or 50 buddies or friends or family or whatever to go promote your stuff on Facebook is worthless. It's literally worthless. Um, unless they happen to also be creators that are posting into special groups that yada, yada, yada. But really what's valuable is one ad where you spent 20 bucks is going to be put in front of exponentially more people than the 50 people that you harassed and harangued to get to, you know, promote your thing will ever do. So paid ads all the way on Facebook. If you want to do more than Facebook, Google ads are the next best thing. So um, Facebook, Google ads, then probably Instagram. Um, and YouTube is kind of a, a new space where we're playing around with YouTube ads and things like that. Um, but Obviously, doing an ad for YouTube means making a video, which is an investment cost, which means it's not going to be for everybody, right? Um, but um, just kind of go down that list. Um, Reddit is great if you're a Redditor. Yeah. In the in the subreddit that you want to be promoting in and if you're giving away free stuff. Like, all those qualifiers have to be ticked, and then Reddit can be great. Um, if you can say, hey, here's a 36-page quick start guide, and I'm already active in this in this thread people typically on Reddit will accept that. If you are, if you pop in to say, hey, check out my Kickstarter, I do 5 each stuff too, you will get crucified. Yeah, they, they're mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay stay away. Um, uh, TikTok's pretty big right now, um, if you like making short videos. Um, and people do have a good success on TikTok. The thing about TikTok and about, well, TikTok especially is like, Really, the best thing that works there is if you're good at making those videos or if you enjoy making them, and if you can give entertainment value, then slipping in links to your Kickstarter page or whatever can be very lucrative. But typically, that's that's a method of being well-received on TikTok, having the followers, and then starting to slide in the links to your product is the way to do that well. Um, other ways are you might as well just do Facebook or Google. It's going to pay off better. So, um, And by pay off better... Um, people always want to know like, well, how much should I spend and what should my return on that investment look like? Um, I just talked to a guy, um, today, uh, another creator down in the hall who said his last Kickstarter, his ads did 150% revenue on Kickstarter. So he spent 500 bucks and he made, you know, 750 or whatnot. That's great. That's great. That'll work all day long. Um, basically the thing that I, the thing that I say is to go back to your follower count. How many people are clicking on? How many people are following off those Facebook ads? If for every follower, for every one follower, um, you have a 20% chance of conversion. So for every five followers, you're going to convert one. So how much did it cost you to get five? If it costs you five bucks to get five, a dollar a piece, that's worth it if you're selling a $50 hardcover book. If you're selling a $5 trifold, probably not worth it, right? So it kind of comes down to what your product is and how much you need as a ratio off of each backer. How do you convert followers to purchase? Yeah. Because every Kickstarter, let's say you get, you know, a hundred followers, by the end of the Kickstarter, twenty to thirty of them purchase, the others don't they just give up. How yeah. do you convert those? And is that a normal number? Twenty to thirty percent is very normal. Um and a big part of that is that it costs nothing to follow a project. It costs money at some level to actually do it. And there's a lot of um, I'm a cheap person, so I'll just say cheap people. There's a lot of cheap people in the world, right? And and a lot of people are looking for the best deal or the perfect product, right? You might have a Feywild ad 
banner graphic that, and you, you talk all about the Feywild and people might follow it and they might be interested in a Feywild project, but then they click on your page and they say, well, I wanted a Feywild adventure and not a Feywild setting guide. This isn't for me. So there's always going to be a high percentage of people who followed your project, but for one reason or another don't. But the way that you convert the most is by getting that early 48 hour momentum and ideally first 12 hour momentum and ideally the first two hour momentum, right? Like the faster you can get that momentum rolling, the better, the higher your conversion rate is going to be. Um, so as far as that goes, what I can say is just the, it always comes down to how badass does your page look? How much does it speak to the creator, to the backers who are stepping into it? And how fast did you fund and how exciting are your goals and everything moving forward? Because um, if you got a killer product and you're promoting it well and you hit the goal early, you're going to convert on the upper end of that. I've seen products that have done 40%, 50% conversion rate. I've never seen a 60 or above. But, you know, those higher ones are typically because you you said the right things, you showed the right things, and you actually caught an interest in the community that they said, there. this is a product that we as a community want and that fills a niche, then, then you can see those higher numbers. But 20 to 30% is very very typical. You, you, you will have success on that. If you have anything less than 20, it typically means we had a problem. We did not communicate well to the backers. Even if you're successful, it's something to look at and say, we are successful, we funded, but we had a conversion rate of 18%. We probably could have done this better. We could have done this better. Absolutely. All right. So once you've done all that, once you've ran your ads, once you've built up your follower count, once you've built your skeleton, you've got your page ready to go, all of that is done. Um, again, you've done the formula. You know that you're probably going to fund in the first 48 hours because that's going to mean you have the best chance for success. Once all of that is done, last thing here is hitting the launch button. Um, there's a green button that you get as soon as you are approved by Kickstarter that says, I'm ready to launch please don't hit that button preemptively. It, I'm ready to launch actually means we're going to launch right now. Um, and I have one of the projects that failed that you talked about uh, early project and one of the collaborators didn't know what that button meant. They thought it was just preview the page, right? They clicked the I'm ready to launch and all of a sudden you're live and you have half the page built and you know, you've got four followers in the hopper and all that. So just <laughs> be really, really careful with that button. And if you bring on any collaborators to edit the page or look it over, be very clear with every single one of them. That is not a button for anyone to press. Because <laughs> um, once you hit it, that's it. And Kickstarter cannot undo it because we reached out and we said, is there any way that this can be undone or that we can delete this? We, we canceled the project like that day, right? Like it was like, nope, not going to do this. Um, and so we reached out and we're like, is there any way that we could even like just delete the project from our profile so we don't have this failure? Like, no, it's there permanently. It's on your record, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. So what you do is you, do, you, 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 you mothball that profile and you start a new one. <laughs> That's how you get around it. Um, cause you, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, so hitting launch, launch day, um, being aware of the page, following the page, paying attention to the page, being ready with new graphics to update for the stretch goals, being ready to do uh, to put out an update if you need to do an update, being conscientious of people's comments in your comment feed if they see any issues, if they see like, oh, there's a, this reward tier says it's $40, but down in your graphic it says 35 Well, those are things that are very useful to fix right away. So don't hit the launch button 
and then go have lunch, you know, somewhere. Um, hit the launch when you're ready to be at your computer for a few hours and just kind of monitor things. We like to launch on Mondays or Tuesdays around 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, don't launch on a weekend, uh, which is Friday through Saturday. Don't launch during then. Um, we don't like to launch on Thursdays either just because it's super close to the weekend. Um, but really, as long as you're launching Monday through Wednesday and you're launching either around lunch or in the morning or in the evening, it's probably going to be fine. There's not a huge win there. Just don't launch in the middle of the afternoon because people are going to be in the middle of their day job. But if you catch them either right when they're getting into work and they're clicking on and checking their email and, oh, there it is, or you're getting them on their lunch break or you're getting them when they get home in the evening. Those are the three goals. Um, and keep in mind, if you're in the central time zone, that time zone's different. That's why we do 11. We're catching the 9 o'clock folks on the Pacific Coast. We're catching the lunch hour um, in, in the Midwest. And then we're just saying screw you, I guess, to the East Coast. But that's that's all it's got to be. Um, but we are catching Europe in their evening at that point, which is useful. What time do you launch at 11 o'clock? Eleven o'clock in the morning, central. Central. Yeah, yeah, and any time around there is okay, um, but that's that's roughly where we like to be. Um, I'd like to before you hit the launch button too. I I want to point something out that is kind of hard to gauge, and it kind of circles back around to doing your prep. And this is one of the things that when you do this kind of research, you know, it's something that you and I have just started to look into based on the last you know one of those failed attempts is launching during, uh, you know, a point in time uh, in the season, you know, pick your dates carefully. You don't want to do something right after Christmas, right, uh, or something like that. But also, I would suggest, you know, keeping abreast of other projects, especially similar projects to yours um, that could overshadow yours that would be launching around the same time. You don't want to launch into uh, into a a calendar that's going to where, where you're basically in a self-cannibalizing market. So you're going to launch a Kickstarter at the same time. You're running a DCC Kickstarter, same time Goodman Games is running theirs. And, uh, you know, two other big DCC writers are launching their own projects at the same time. Nobody's heard of you. Nobody's going to back your DCC project, most likely. They're going to go back the other two adventures. And that's their know, budget for know. the month. Yep. And they're going to go back the Goodman Games book. And that's their budget for the month. They're not going to buy yours. So... That there's not really an art or a science to it. It's just kind of paying staying attention. on t- Yeah, just pay attention to what other creators out there are doing, especially those that are making similar products to yours. Not to, you know, be competitive, but just to make sure that, you know, you don't have over overlapping launch windows because people have, have their own budgets. And, it, you know. If you're a zine, it's not as big of a deal. Sure. Because you're asking 10, 20 bucks, whatever, not a huge deal. If you're a 50, if you're a $50 hardcover book, it is a big deal. Because, you you know, if Goodman's launching theirs and it's $100 and somebody else is launching theirs and it's 45 bucks and you're 50 that's 200 bucks that the, the DCC community is asking people to spend that month. So it, it's worth noting yeah. as best you can. But at the end of the day, you don't always know what everybody's launch sure. window is. So you pick your date and unless you hear otherwise, yeah. go for it and cross your fingers. But yeah, that's just something that I would say. Try and keep as good a pulse on it, a finger on that pulse as you can. Yeah. Uh, down here at the bottom, and then we'll have time for a few questions, but down here at the bottom we have uh, some links. First two links, uh, 
Wagdi.com and store.wagdi.com are our own links. They're also on the cards in front of you. Uh, Wagdi.com uh, is uh, uh, our own website, and there's several sections in there to like learn more about Kickstarters or being a creator and things like that, and we're expanding those rapidly right now. So there's, there's going to be some good resources there over the next few months. Store.wagdi.com is where we sell all of our client scenes and things like that. So there's a good, it's a good resource to go and like look at like what are a lot of products that have been funded on Kickstarter? What do they look like on the back end? Um, that's that. The next four, MediaModifier.com, Mixam, Print Ninja, and GameCrafter. MediaModifier is great if you're not a designer or if you're not good with like uh, 3D modeling or mocking things up in general. Uh, MediaModifier is a site that you can pay like 12 bucks a month and you can just subscribe for one month if you want to. And it has uh, templates for books and iPads and boxes and all sorts of stuff that you can basically just upload your cover graphic and it'll put it on a book and 3D model it for you, and you can download it. That's huge. It's huge, 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 because the backer knows it's a mock-up, but in their their in their animal brain, they're communicating that, oh, this is a real book. Um, so just paying that 10 bucks is 100% worth it for the for the month um, to get yourself some nice mock-ups. Um, Media Modifier is great for that. Um, Mixam is great. It's a domestic printing service um, that... You can get your zines, you can get your, uh, you know, trifolds, your maps. You can even do hardcovers and stuff like that in a limited run. Um, it's just a great, great site. It's very reasonably priced, and they have an immediate price calculator right there on their site that's super useful and su- super easy to use. So Mixam's great for your budgets. It's also a great place to order stuff from. We've ordered dozens and dozens of stuff from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Print Ninja is an example, but it's a good example of an overseas manufacturer. Um, Print Ninja is great if you're doing high quantity runs. Like if you're doing a hardcover book and you want to do like 800 copies or above, that's where it makes a lot of sense to go international on your purchases. Um, and at that point, Print Ninja is great because it has an online price quote calculator. You can get a quote on your book with all the options in five minutes as opposed to having to wait and chat with people and having a salesperson knocking on your door or your email every Every week, um, Print Ninja is great for that. Game Crafter is print-on-demand stuff, largely for board games and things of that nature, but they can also do other stuff. Um, and it's great for prototyping and things of that nature. Um, the last three links there are for three different Facebook groups. These are great resources for it to get you started um, as far as that connection, connecting that we talked about. The RPG Zines Facebook group uh, is listed first. That is an amazing resource. If you are doing any sort of small book for any system, you should be on that group. Um, it's super helpful. It's super, the people in there are super, super nice. Um, and there's a ton of information. So um, that is that is day one. You should be in that group. Uh, Crowdfunding Nerds Facebook group, that's actually a company. Um, they have a podcast as well. Um, we're not affiliated with them, but they have a really nice community. And they're very knowledgeable. And that's a great one to connect with if you want to dive more into marketing for your group or for your project. Um, those guys are professional marketers. That's all they do is help people promote their Kickstarters. And they've got a really nice community, creator community as well. And then the more, if you do more work stuff, the more work Facebook uh, community, uh, especially the creators group, is a great example of the type of group you're looking for, whether it's DCC or whatever. Um, finding a group like that for your game or your system is... Um, is 100% necessary. Um, that's everything on this. You guys are welcome to take these home. Do we have any other questions before we wrap up? 
Yep. Um, how much success have you seen uh, from individuals who put up something, say, like an alpha or a beta or a play test version on another track through our PGD? Yeah, that's a good question. So question was, um, how much success do you see from doing an alpha or beta prototype or whatever, putting it on drive-thru RPG as far as building interest and things of that nature. Um, So drive-thru and itch and places like itch.io is another one um, for that sort of thing. At the end of the day, all of those things are just places for you to drive people to. They aren't naturally going to drive people your way on their own. That said, if your thing is free or pay what you want on drive-thru, you will probably get several hundred downloads, which is nice because then you get all of those emails in the drive-thru system and you can then send out newsletters and things to them. So it's not a bad way to go to have some free stuff on drive-thru because you can build an email list, keeping in mind that you have an email list full of people that were very interested in getting something for free. So it's not going to have a huge payoff when you're looking to ask them for money. Um, That said, um, we always encourage folks, especially if you're doing a new system or a new game, having some sort of alpha, beta, or downloadable print-and-play version is a great, great, great resource. Um, having it available um, in general for play testing and things of that nature and, and asking people, reaching out, seeing if people will play test it, that's all super useful because once you go to the Kickstarter itself, being able to say, this game has been play tested for six months, here's an alpha version that you can download right now. All those things are super useful in giving backers confidence and letting them know that you're going to be likely to succeed. The other thing is your game might catch some sort of fire or momentum, you know, on itch or on drive through. You know, you might get some word of mouth. You might get some reviewers that pop in and say, hey, I downloaded this thing or this guy reached out to me and he had a beta version. I played it. I loved it. You should go download it as well. You can get some of that. And that sort of momentum can help build out your follower list. I would... I would always connect alphas, betas, prototypes, print and plays in some way, find a way of capturing their email, whether that's through your site or that's through something else or that's through having a landing page on Kickstarter ready to go. Have some way of just not giving it out for free without a way of reaching back out to that person. So if it's on your website, it can be free, but have them go through the checkout process so that you got that email. That way, when you go live, you can send out an email to all the people who downloaded it over the last year and tell them that the real version is ready to go. Yeah. So I'm new to putting my stuff out there. And when I started, everybody's like, you need Instagram, you need Twitter, you need podcasts, you need Facebook, all like, you know, YouTube, all of it. Um, I am camera shy. I do not like DMs on podcasts. And so, like, is it something you absolutely need? What would you say there? In terms of, uh, like, doing interviews and things like that? So, I think I could start with saying, for you as a creator, as an individual, I despise social media. I'm barely on it. I'm Like, I don't want to do it. Um, I like chatting with people. So, for me, like, doing a podcast is super easy, being on something like that. I like that side of it. I don't like being on social media and just making posts and, you know, hyping my stuff or whatever, right? So as far as all that goes, I don't think it's a necessity that you are on all sorts of social media. That said, if you were going to be on one, I would say Facebook because the Facebook groups are great spots to connect. Discord has also become a great one for that. Even though I hate Discord, I'm on it all the time because it's got people on it that are good 
uh, good community members and it's worthwhile to touch base with them. But um, uh, the fast answer is you as a person don't need to be. But if you are an indie publisher or something, if you're not going to be on there, then you need to make a basically a, um, a storefront for your business and a couple of those because it's going to give backers confidence. Even if you're landing, even if you have a Facebook page for your company that just has a, you know, you, you schedule a post once a week that is uh, a, a, a post about your Kickstarter or your writing, whatnot, even if it's just something really simple, showing that you have a presence elsewhere and that there's multiple ways of contacting you and that you are a real company is going to give backers confidence. Um, that's also a great place to then run ads from so that you're not running ads from your personal account. Um, building a Kickstarter or a Facebook page is a great way to do that. Yeah. Anything else you would add to that side? Yeah, I had something and I just completely lost it because you were making a really good point. <laughs> um, you don't have to go on. There's there's a million people who like despise. Like I talk to creators all the time who despise conventions, who despise being in front of people, who despise podcasts and interviews and all that. And it's fine. They still find success. It's going to be a little bit harder, and you're probably going to want to rely on more spending a little bit more money on ads and stuff like that because you're not getting the natural word of mouth. But at the end of the day, like. I'd say for every creator who's getting out there and and doing all that, there's three creators who aren't. So it's definitely something that you can do without that. And to add to one of those, um, another one that I've sat down and heard a recommendation on and personally have not had much success on is Patreon. Is that oh. one that you I, I can tell you all about that. <laughs> Let me tell you about Patreon. So the question was... Uh, you know, the, the link between Patreon and Kickstarter success, project success, correct? Pretty much. Yeah, and I'm guessing you're probably wondering, is it, you know, worth starting a Patreon to kind of help promote my projects and, and my company and stuff? My answer is going to be no. Don't do not do it. Don't put in the time. It's, it's going to drain. It's going to take time and effort away from the thing that you want to be doing for no return because they're not you know the reality is is when when i did mine we we did get some patrons it wasn't much it didn't amount to much and they really liked it but i was killing myself to make at least two posts a week to preview content for an upcoming project and we we had the standard of okay we're going to at least include some kind of artwork you know stock art or a cheap sketch to go with it i mean financially it wasn't feasible and then you know, passions on Patreon have certain expectations with posts. You, you have to keep up with it a certain amount of time. Um, whether that's twice a week or once a month is up to, up to you. But whatever you communicate to your passions, you better do it. Especially if you're trying to build a follower, you need that integrity. Patreon is all about integrity and doing what you say you're going to do on the day that you told them you were going to do it. They are serious about that kind of stuff. So it, in my opinion, it is so much time and mental energy and and honestly if you if you're trying to do it the way that I did you know money not a lot of money but I mean I think I probably spent a couple hundred bucks that if I had it back I could buy a game book with you know so yeah I think I think the other thing that I'd add to the patreon side of things is look at who's successful on patreon right now right like the bulk of people who are successful on patreon fall into two categories the first one is they have a successful youtube channel or live stream or streamer of some sort and this is the place where you go to get their content that's print or that's that's written right 
or that's what are just to support them in general. Well, that means that you don't just need a Patreon. You also need to be, you know, have have an audience elsewhere, or they're artists that also that kind of like a uh, like a jack of all trades sort of a person. Yeah. Like like Limithron is a great example of that. Luke uh, Stratton, as someone who con- was designing great maps on a regular basis, you know, he did a lot of pirate themed stuff. He was creating a ton of maps. He wanted to do that. That's what he loved to do. Patreon was a great resource for him. He could also write. So, like, he was a one-stop shop that could do it all and wanted to do it all and was already working at that level. So that just became naturally a good fit for him to Mm -hmm. put out consistent content. But at the end of the day, the other thing that you said is exactly right, which is that whether you're doing on Patreon or you're doing it on Kickstarter, you still have to drive people to where they're going. So do you want to drive people to Kickstarter with your ads and with yourself? Or do you want to drive people to Patreon and then use the Patreon to point people towards Kickstarter? Like, at the end of the day, it still takes you getting out there and, and pointing people to a direction. Um, and it becomes a more convoluted process. You're, you're creating this third step when you could just be pointing people directly to the Kickstarter. And you're saying, no, I'm going to point you to this thing that I want you to go pay to preview. And then I'm going to point you at my Kickstarter it feels very forced. Do Patreon if you want to do Patreon. Yes. And exactly. do Kickstarter if you want to do Kickstarter, but I don't advise doing one as a roadway to the other. And exactly. I would advise that if you're going to do Patreon, have, you know, like a lot built up. Yeah, have have a lot of content built up, have a variety of content. You know, if you're going to just release, you know, monsters and stat blocks, you better have like 200 of them ready to go and start dropping like groups of five at a time because it's, if you just start going posting one monster a week that's it doesn't work i've tried it um and yeah it it's patreon works best if you already have a following and they're coming from somewhere else like youtube or you know so, somewhere else like that instagram stuff like that yeah. one last question if anybody has it otherwise we'll wrap it up Cool. Okay. So uh, as we close up here, thank you guys for uh, hanging out and chatting with us. You're welcome to take these little notes home. You also, there's a card on the table. We also have our booth down in the exhibit hall. Uh, it's a big, long booth about uh, halfway through the hall there. And we've got a billion zines and Kickstarter projects across a ton of different creators. It's a good space to go and just check out what's already been done in the industry. Um, and Zach and I will be at the booth most of the con, so we'd be happy to chat with you further there. Sure. Thanks a lot. And... Uh, Enjoy your time. See you later, guys. See you.